Hi, my name is Brian Hoyland, and I'm going to tell you about my actual death experience. So I want to get right into the story. I was exposed to toxic chemicals in the military, and these toxic chemicals developed into autoimmune diseases. And these autoimmune diseases, over time, had attacked my, my body. Every organ in my body has been affected from my bones to my heart. Everything has been, been pretty much devastated. But my heart was particularly attacked. So January 15th in 2017, I went into a, a very serious level of heart failure. I was already in chronic end stage heart failure for some period, but this one was, was a lot worse. And for about seven hours, I was in the, in the ER fighting for my life. They moved me up to the ICU and I went back into a very, very high level of sustained ventricular tachycardia, which is high rate of heart rate. But then I started to feel that I was going to die. I knew it was going to come. And I was praying this whole time. But I, I closed my eyes and I told God, please just take me. I can't take this pain anymore. It's too much. It, it was just beginning to be too too much pain for me. And I'm not a person to usually give up and quit. So that was, it was strange for me. But I had been beaten. I had been beaten so badly that I just wanted it to be over. So I closed my eyes. And this was what was really cool is that I experienced my death. I felt a strong shake and a pop in my body. There was a surge of pain, but it was so quick and, and it was so it, it was over in just a moment that it it didn't even register as as bad as all the pain that I had felt, even though it was worse, but it was gone. And in that moment, when I sh did that shake and a pop, I exited my my body, my soul exited from my body and I was in a dark tunnel. But all the noise, all the chaos of that hospital room ceased immediately. And I felt this love and this joy just coming over me. It was, it was almost as if the whole atmosphere was filled with this love and this joy. But I'm looking into this dark void. And it was, it was confusing because this dark void was immense. It looked like outer space minus the luminous beings. You know, no stars, no planets, no sun. But it was just pitch black and yet i was able to see into it and this was this was interesting because the the dark void was beckoning to me it was it was kind of compelling me to to come into it you know i was experiencing this love and joy and it was it, telling me that this is what it's like here just to be here and just feel this love and joy and nothing else and all is well but it it wasn't where the love and joy was emanating from and this was very clear. So I, I knew that this was, this was something that was trying to lure me in, not, not for my benefit, but maliciously. And so I looked at this void and I said, well, this can't be it. And it wasn't so simple as just saying, well, this can't be it. It was, it was about that this can't be it without Jesus. I don't want heaven or eternity without Jesus. I had felt him prior to my death. I knew he was with me. He did not abandon me the whole time I was dying. So I, I knew that this wasn't right. And when I felt that love and that joy just rush over me, which was similar to that, what I had felt all the whole time I was dying, yet it was so much more profound. And when I said that, that this couldn't be it, I realized that there was a light behind me. And I had been seeing this light the whole time because I could see into that dark void. Despite the fact that it was pitch black, 
I was able to see the depths of it and see the immensity to it. And so as I see this light behind me, I had this, this desire to turn towards the light. Now, what's interesting is I didn't actually need to turn towards the light because when I did turn that light, I was facing right at it, but I never lost vision of that dark void. So I was able to see in 360 degrees and at the same time. I didn't have to look at one and then stop looking at the other. I could still see it. But whatever I was focusing on, because now I'm focusing on that light, that took the, the predominance of my my focus. So my focus was was pinpointed right on that light. While I did see that dark void behind me and everything else around me, the the primary focus was on that that light. So as I started to look at that light, I said I wanted to be with it. Now, this light was extremely far away. I, I couldn't begin to calculate how, how far away it was, but it was a long way away. And I was there like that. As soon as I had said that I wanted to be there with that light, that was all it took. But yet I didn't feel any, any kind of inertia or, or any kind of speed that would, would have given me any, or wind on my face or any kind of sensory information that would have let me know that I had moved as quickly as I had. So this was really cool because I did remember every single step I took. So now I'm I'm understanding that there is no sense of time like we have back in life. This was was all happening so quickly and yet it was so drawn out. There was no way to be able to determine how long this had taken me. So as I'm standing before this light, it was so beautiful and so resplendent. I I just I couldn't take my eyes off of it and yet I knew that this light wasn't hurting my my eyes. It was different than any kind of light you could ever imagine. But it was it was feeling the feeling of it was was permeating into me and it was all love. This this light was love itself. And it was permeating into my soul. And as I'm taking and soaking this in, I'm realizing that my intellect had had gone through the roof. I was so much smarter. I knew things that I hadn't hadn't ever known in life. I knew things of history that I had never experienced. All these different memories of my life were all there present. I didn't, I didn't have any kind of confusion either. It was as if I was some sort of a supercomputer that can process many things at once. You know, you pull a bunch of windows up on your computer and you're able to, to look at different things and, and go through them all. That's what, that's what it was almost like, except I didn't have to do any kind of manual work to have it happen. It was just there. And so I'm looking at this light and I'm, I'm trying to find the ends of the light. I'm looking to the left and looking to the right, up and down. I couldn't find the end of this light. And what was really cool about my vision is that there was nothing hidden from me. So while I'm looking to the left, I'm still seeing to the right. And then I'm still seeing up and down at the same time and looking straight forward. Yet it was also like driving a car. You know, when you're driving a car and you can see the scenery as it goes past you, that's really cool. Except I could see what I was looking at at the light. And I could see every single thing I saw all the way as my vision to the end of it. But at the end of my vision, I could watch it as it was continually growing. And I could not find the end of this light. No matter how long I took to do this, I don't think I would have ever found the end of it. It was immense. And it gave me the feeling and the understanding that that this was so immense that that it was going to last forever, that it was infinite. And I, I looked at this light, and when I said that I, I couldn't believe that it didn't hurt my eyes, 
I knew it was God. And as soon as I knew that, as soon as I made that recognition in my mind, that's when God said, you can come in. And so I, I jumped right in. I, I couldn't, I couldn't even contain myself. I wanted to be with him so badly. And I want to say that this, this was God, but it, he didn't have a body. So I don't know if the light was just his love manifesting. And that's the way that it appeared to me. Or if this was somehow part of his spirit, I, I can't say that. I can say though, that this was directly his love, that this was, that this was something of him that was manifested and, and appeared in a light. <clears throat> so I'm in this light, and as I'm in it, I could feel his love rushing into me like a river. It was so powerful and so strong. But my my soul was open to it. There was no resistance. I didn't put up any kind of barriers. I didn't do anything to resist that influx of that love. And it was so wonderful. It, it felt like a, a warm blanket or something you take out of the dryer on a cold day and you put it on and it makes you feel warm and safe and secure that's how that's how this love felt and so i'm walking through this love and i started to get this idea this this understanding of all the things that i was seeing of my life of history that i had never even experienced all these these ideas and desires and knowledge it was all there and present for me and I realized how as human beings, we have all these different distractions, if you will, but we have ideas and thoughts, but these are things that, that happen and we can only, you know, maybe, maybe identify one or two at a time, uh, you know, some of us who are, or some of you maybe that are, are really good can maybe go a little bit more than that. I, I, I'm not able to do that. So I don't, I don't know what that's like, but here I was, I was able to do all kinds of things. And I realized that's how God is. It was so apparent to me that that God has one thought, but contained in that entire thought is everything. All of the knowledge of, of, of mankind, all of the history, all of our ideas, all of my, my memories, yours, everyone's, everything was contained in that one thought. And that thought is Jesus Christ. And as soon as I realized that, I said, I want to see Jesus. And when I said that, that light opened up to me and I was looking into this great room and in this room were countless beings. Now I, I didn't look beyond that room. I don't know if I was able to or not, because I, like I said, I could see really far and there was nothing hidden. These beings, I could see these beings, the front of them. I could see the back of them. I could see every single one of them without losing vision of the front or back of one versus another. I could see them all at once. So there was nothing that I couldn't see inside of this room. But I, I also knew that this room was just an entry point, like a greeting room. But in the middle of all these beings, which were had the shape of a human torso, but they were shining with this, this brilliance, this just love and the, the, the brilliant light that was like the light of of the encasing light that was in over this place, but it was, it was not as bright and significant as, as that major light, but the one in the middle was, and that's where that love was coming from. It was emanating from this light. I knew it was Jesus, but it was like the, the river was flowing from him and into me. I felt like a straw. 
You know, I, I can, that's the best description I can give is that, you know, when you're drinking from a cup, I got a cup right here. So you're drinking from this cup, you know, and this is a big cup, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not endless. That's for sure. But his love was endless. But you know how, when you drink through a straw, the, the fluid is inside the straw going into my mouth from the cup. It never is empty. The straw is always full, but it continually comes and it's new. It's fresh. That's what I felt like with Jesus's love is that it was clearly, clearly infinite. And we were going to be continually filled like a straw, constantly drinking in that love. And it's going to come back out into the rest of heaven, never to be lost, always to, to be replenished. And for all of eternity, we're going to experience that love new and fresh and exciting in our lives because his, his love is infinite. There's so many dimensions to it that we're going to be able to experience it in new ways throughout all of eternity. And so when I see him and I feel this love pouring into me, I said, Jesus, I want to see your face. And as soon as I said, I wanted to see his face, that's when it came together. And I saw his face. I saw all the beings turned to turn to their normal form, their human form to where I could see them as well. But since I was focused on Jesus, everything else that I saw is, is just in the periphery. So I, I, you know, people often ask me, did you see grandma? Did you see that? You know, I, I probably did. I, I have feelings like I, I saw certain people, but I can't say for sure because I was focused, hyper-focused on Jesus. And I really don't know how you could be, could be anywhere else. He was so beautiful and his face, when he was looking at me, it was complete mercy. It was love. You know, here I was standing before him as, as a great sinner. I had sinned so much in my life. And granted, I was apologizing. You know, I, I was full of contrition prior to death. And many of my sins I had been very sorry for for most of my life. But as he was staring at me, I wasn't able to, to lay down the memory of his, of his face. So my memory wasn't able to, to pull anything that looked like him to where I was able to lay down that memory. So it was like an animation. So you know how when you flip a, a little book with drawings on it and the, the animation kind of looks like it's running or whatever that the animation is doing. That's what it was like. It was like I was taking in new images of his face as he's staring at me, but I wasn't able to lay anything down to where I could, could compare it even to the memory I had just seen. So that was really interesting to me. And I, I'm not sure exactly why God did that, but he didn't let me ex bring that back. I don't, I don't know what his, his face looks. I don't know that that really matters. I, I don't know that, that it, it certainly doesn't matter to me. Whatever he really looks like, I, I don't care. I just loved him. And we're all going to love him because he is so perfect. And what was wonderful about his face is that that mercy was giving me forgiveness. We started to discuss my 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 sins in depth. You know, we looked at my good things my whole life. It was it was a review of everything that I have done in my life. Now all these beings were there and they got to see it. So everybody in heaven was was able to see my thing. But yet I wasn't embarrassed about them seeing it. I, I knew already that they had all seen everything that I was doing anyway. But I was I was ashamed of my own sins, but in a way that was, was more healthy than it ever could have been in life. Because when Jesus was looking at me and that love and that mercy was, was just flooding me, 
he was healing those wounds that I had inflicted on myself. And so the shame was more of, of a detestation of my sins. I, I realized how, how bad they were because I could see what I had done to him during his passion. I could see how they affected other people. He was letting me see the, the ripple effects of my sins, not just, you know, telling a lie or, or stealing something or whatever I might've done in my life. He, he showed me how those things that I had done hurt him, others, and inflicted a deep wound on myself. Now, most of the things I had done, I was sorry for, but it was the things that I could have done and didn't, or the justifications that I had, like somebody did this to me and I, well, I, I have the right to get them back. Now, from a human standpoint, I did. There were some really atrocious things that happened to me, but being my nature, I, I didn't allow people to walk on me. And so I would, I'd give it back to him and often to a degree that was not just but I would, I would justify myself in it. So these things really, really hurt me because I could see how that affected Jesus. And I had thought I was right. <clears throat> so as he's showing me all of this, I realized also that with that time concept that there was, there was no linear type of time. So everything that was happening seemed to be happening on, on what you would say, maybe like a, a pen dot. You know, you take a pen and you write a little dot on the, on the paper. Imagine all of time happening in there. It's like all at once and never escapes from that because it's continually there. So with time not ever ending, it's all present immediately at the same time. Now, when I tell the story, it does come off in a linear fashion and it makes more sense because there seemed to be that same kind of concept, yet it all seemed to be happening at once. And I had a memory of my my childhood when my great grandmother had died and I, I saw my aunts and uncles and you know, everybody I loved crying and, and really upset because she was very beloved. So I, I remember driving home that night. It was a long drive home, but I was, I was a little kid, six years old, maybe. And I was really upset about it. It shook me the whole way. And I didn't want to tell my parents about it because I didn't want them to be upset either. I, you know, I loved my parents, but when we got home, I remember praying. I got on my knees. It was the first time I remember being on my knees, I probably was on my knees before that, but, but it was, this was like a real uh, self-directed prayer. I, I, I wanted to give this to God and I poured out my heart and it was a long prayer for a little kid. It was a long time. And I had that feeling, you know, that warm sensation you get where you feel like God just touched you. And he said, yeah, I'm going to answer that prayer. And you, you got it. You got it, kid. And I, I went to bed. I, I, I went right to sleep and I didn't have any more worries about it. And I don't remember ever thinking about it again in my life until this moment. And so I'm asking Jesus, you know, did, did this really happen? Did you, did you answer that prayer? And he confirmed that he had. So that was really great to me. And, you know, I, I probably should mention too, that there was no audible sounds. So everything was silent. What he was saying to me was imprinted in my mind. Like I could, I, I was connected to his thoughts and he was connected to mine as we were connected to everybody else there. And I could hear the, the or sense the, the, the thoughts of all the other beings as well. So again, like with the vision, the, the auditory was maybe not there, but it was, it was still very much like I was understanding what everybody was saying. And it wasn't confusing because it was all happening at once. And yet it was so clear because my mind was able to cycle through these things.
So he had confirmed that he he did answer that that prayer, and that's when I I I was just overwhelmed by the very next question. He says to me, "Well, why would you want to go back?" And it wasn't again like just that simple. Why would you want to go back? You know what? What do you want to do? It was more of what would be my purpose for going back. You know, not not just to go back to enjoy life and and the things that come with it. So I, I started trying to come up with a lot of reasons that I thought were valid. You know, I said, what about my family? You know, with my job, I could do all these wonderful things. And I, everything I came up with was empty. And it wasn't because they weren't good. It was it was because I, I, I was, again, still not realizing the proper order of things. And the proper order is putting God first. And that's when it hit me. When I was thinking about that, I, I was feeling his love rushing into me. And I knew I wanted to give his love back. I, I've never experienced that kind of love in my entire life. You can imagine the most disgusting thing in the world, that something that's so foul to you. You would endure that for all of eternity, or at least I would have. I would have endured that for all of eternity just to feel his love. And that's how he he feels about us. Is He loves us so much that that his his love makes us feel like we could do anything. And if you can learn to grab into that, your life is going to be wonderful. And that's what I realized is that because of his love, I wanted to go back and share that with others. I knew that's what he would enjoy the most. I, there was nothing that, that could, could have been more important to God than to have as many people in heaven with him. And so I said, I want, I want to go back and, and, and give your love out. I, I wanted to go back to love others. And he said, that's, that's, that's what it is. That's good. That's the purpose. And it wasn't just for me, although it was specifically said to me, but I do believe that this is something that all people are supposed to, to do. That is where our purpose comes from, is to love God and to, to love others, share that love with them. So, like I said before, everything was happening on a pen dot. But what seemed to be the next thing was his, his final instructions to me before he told me to leave. And he gave me three things. He said, that I needed to pray more. And it wasn't simply just saying routine prayers, although those are good and those are important. We do need to say those because those keep us regimented. Those keep us on our human our human schedule to do things because we deviate if we don't do these. But they're also very beautiful. So he wanted me to continue to do those, but more. Um, but he wanted me to do more prayers that involved my life living out a prayer. And what I mean is doing good works, doing doing things that that help other people. Those weren't things that are going to save me. He already showed me how he saved me. But when we have his love in us, we are meant to share and to, to stay in communion and to do these things with his love and because of his love. So I, I realized that even something so simple as walking down the street and picking up a piece of litter and just throwing it in the garbage, just because that will make somebody else's day a little happier if they don't see that litter. You know, it, it might not be the greatest example, although I do think it's a wonderful one because that's how simple this is. We don't have to, to do magnificent, wonderful things that get the attention of all other human beings. We have to get the attention of God. And it's putting God in the proper order. If I pick up that piece of litter because I love God, 
and I love other people and I want to make it a better place, God's going to honor that. He always honors love. So that's the praying more. He also told me I needed to suffer joyfully. Now, this one is a tough concept, particularly, you know, having just died a horrific death. And now I'm going to tell you, it was, it was a terrible death. It was extremely painful. I was alone. I couldn't have my family there. It was a terrible death. And yet, I realized here is God who came down from heaven. He died on a cross. Not only did he die on a cross, his whole life was suffering. You know, he, he was poor of the, the poorest of the poor. I don't know of anybody else who's born in a barn, right? And he took on that. So he automatically came in as the king of the universe and became the most humble and lowly of all people so that he could identify with us. And he, he showed us that, you know, even him, even in his glory, he's going to have to carry that cross to save us. And I realized, how could I ever think I was going to avoid my own cross? And it doesn't mean that all of you are going to have the same cross as, as everyone else. Not everybody needs to have such a horrific death. Or like me, I had to have a heart transplant two years later. Not everybody's going to have to have that kind of an experience and that kind of suffering. But we all do know we do suffer in life. All of us have suffered already. And all of us are going to continue to have suffering. That is the nature of life. If you eat too many tacos, it's not God's fault that you got a stomach ache. That's nature. That's the way it is in life. And yet, God will use that suffering to our advantage if we let him. And that's the purpose of joyful suffering. To accept the, the consequences of our behaviors and of nature and just giving it back to God and saying, I, I still love the good that is here, despite the, the discomfort I'm experiencing now. Use it for good. And he will. And I never understood that part in the Bible where Paul says, you know, through my sufferings, I make complete or I make perfect. I'm not sure exactly about the wording, but it's, it's along those lines. The sufferings of Christ. Because of my sufferings, I make perfect the sufferings of Christ. Now, how is that that we can complete something that, that perfection itself had already done? And it's because of our willingness to participate. Our acceptance of, of our experience is how we do it. He showed us that he did the very same thing. He was in the garden. He was praying. And, and I could see how he was explaining these things to me. I had all those memories there. So it wasn't like that. It wasn't like I just had to think of these things. They were present in my mind. But in the garden, that's very much what he did. He was suffering so immensely. And then he turned it all over. He accepted it. And that's what I knew I had to do. So I had to go back and he showed me that I was going to go back. I was going to suffer more, more than I had even prior to my death. I was going to have all that pain, plus the, the additional pain of dying and whatever extension I was going to have in life. And he did tell me I he was going to give me a new heart. I didn't realize that it was going to be through a heart transplant. I thought he was going to just miraculously cure my heart, but I'll get to that in a minute. So I, I knew that I was going to have more suffering, and I didn't mind. In fact, at this point, I realized how all of the suffering that I had had under, undergone prior to my death was so wonderful because he filled it with love. And had not had I not had those wounds, 
I don't know that I could have ever experienced that love in that same degree. I certainly wouldn't have been able to appreciate it by having the experience of something so horrible to be filled with something so good. And then the last thing he told me to do was to share his love. And while that sounds very simple, it's it can be difficult for us as human beings because we get offended by other people. Other people do things that that are really problematic to us. People sin a lot. And we don't we don't ever love the sin. We don't tolerate it. We don't have to even ignore it and and pretend, you know, some people say don't judge. That's absolutely absolutely wrong. We never judge the person. We don't say, oh, you're an evil person because you do this evil thing. No, it's you're doing this evil thing. Come on, come back over here and and be a good person again. But to share that love, we have to know when to say something and when not to. To share love is to be able to recognize where another person is and to reach them at that level and help them to, to, to experience that love in a way that gets them to the next. It's a very complex thing. But if we go into it with just the purity of trying to share love, even if we make mistakes, God will make that good. And that's what he was showing me is that I don't need to be afraid to show his love because he is the one who's going to grow that seed that I plant. That's that's it. <clears throat> so now he tells me that I need to go back. So as I turn to to go back to my to my tunnel, that's when I I no longer saw the vision of Jesus. So that that was was not there anymore. That was the only time I wasn't able to see, you know, everything in, in heaven. And I'm walking through the light. And then the light opens up. So I'm going back the exact same way. And I see my my tunnel. I do think I saw other tunnels. This is the only time I will talk about the periphery. I can't say for sure, though, because it was in the periphery. I was focused on my tunnel. But at the end of my tunnel, it wasn't that dark void any longer. It was my hospital room. And I could see my body. So I was laying there. And it was like I was looking through my eyes. But I could see the, you know my back of my head. And still, I could see everything. But I could see what the the staff in the hospital room were doing. And there were about 20, maybe maybe 15 people in the room and several others outside. There's about 20 people gathered around doing different tasks, running and getting different different pieces of equipment or or all the different different things that they have to do. It was it was quite chaotic. And I'm going back to this chaos, knowing that that pain's gonna be smack dab right on me when I get back in. But I had this this joy. That it just couldn't couldn't be shaken, and so as I get back to my to my body, I snap right back into it. I didn't have to have anyone explain to me how to do it. It it was natural, and as soon as I snapped back into my body, it did feel like that tunnel closed off, like that connection had had like a barrier, but it was because of all the distractions of life rushing back into me at once. The chaos of the room, the the worries, the fears, the pain. I mean, the pain was immense. And yet I knew that that, that that tunnel was still wide open. It was those distractions that we all experience in life. Those are what prevent us from having complete communion with God. And so I knew I could get back to that. I just had to, to be able to learn to control these distractions. Yet as soon as I pop my eyes open, I'm, I'm trying to get up as much as I could, but I was strapped down because they were shocking me and doing a lot of other 
medical procedures to try to keep me safe. I had mask on and I had some stuff on my head to keep my brain cool and, you know, to monitor my brain activity, which by the way, I, for 10 minutes, I was dead. I had, I had no heart. I had no brain activity. Everything was completely dead for 10 minutes. So that was really incredible because as soon as I got back into my body, I didn't, didn't seem like I had any kind of brain damage, which you would would sus- usually suspect at that at that kind of a length of time of being dead. But I I looked right up at the doctor and I said to him, "Did I just die?" But he couldn't completely hear me because the mask and everything. So he had to come down closer to me, and he had this look on his face, like he was just about to call call it call it a day that I was dead, and he was going to call the time and say that the patient is dead because they had taken this Lucas machine off me which also, by the way, broke a couple ribs. So, I mean, the pain really was more severe. But <clears throat> the doctor was looking in my face, and I said it again. I said, did I just die? And he said, yeah, you just died. And I wanted that medical confirmation because as a psychotherapist, I, I never believed in near-death experiences. I always thought it was neurochemicals, just a rush of chem- neurochemicals coming into the brain and, and causing these memories. Clearly, having not lost conscious thought from the moment before I died to when I died throughout the entire time in heaven and then coming back and and, and entering into my body again, never losing that conscious thought. And yet, while my, my physical brain was dead, I was in heaven laying down new memory. That's impossible. Particularly, the, the things that I was able to do are beyond what any other human being has ever even imagined. So, there is no way my brain could have came up with something on its own while it was dead and not functioning. It's just, it's, it's an impossibility. So I, all of my understanding and training was turned upside down. I remember thinking about some of my professors. I was like, boy, they really got it wrong. This is, this is absolutely turning everything on its head. So the doctor then, you know, they, they worked on me. They had to do surgeries. Uh, I had to have a new defibrillator put in. But what was really cool was for two years, I lived with this, this heart that was dead. When they took it out, when I had the heart transplant, they cut it open, did the biopsy, and they showed me all the pieces of my heart in all the different places, they, five or six different places. They said, without this piece and without this piece or with this one, any one of those, your heart couldn't function because they were so encrusted with with scar damage that <clears throat> that there, the the smooth muscle of the the heart was no longer able to contract so it was sending bad rhythms that heart shouldn't have been able to work and they said it was a medical miracle however as as you now know it was a god miracle god decided to intervene in my life and he pulled me back from the cusp of where i was going and has given me another chance and that's the beauty of our god you know, when I was looking at his face, it was mercy. He wasn't condemning me for my sins. He was saving me from them. And it was because I loved him. I chose him. In that dark void, I made the conscious choice to turn and look at him. And I said, I wanted to be with him. And I said, I wanted to be with that light. And I said, I wanted to see Jesus. These were things that couldn't have come from anywhere else other than that love just impelling me. It was from inside. It was my soul saying, this is where I belonged. I knew it. My intelligence was far greater than I could ever have imagined. But it was all because of that connection with Jesus. 
and he was freely giving it. That's the beauty of our God. His mercy comes without strings. The only thing we need to do is ask for it. The only thing we need to do is give him love. That's all that he wants. I'd like to clarify one thing. I did write a book, From Sudden Death to Paradise, but I used a pseudonym. And the pseudonym is T.S. Dismas. The reason I wanted to tell you this is because it has caused some confusion in the past. People are looking for my story and they come across this other one that seems very similar, but has a different name. So to cut through that confusion, I, I wanted to let you know that. The reason I chose a pseudonym was because I didn't feel that I should take credit for this story as it happened to me, not because of me. Uh, it happened because of our Lord. Thank you for listening to my story.